0: You're listening to Country Music Success Stories featuring Music City mentor, J.C. Don Valeris. Now, here's your host, Cadio Terry.
1: J.C. and I are so excited for you to hear this episode with Grammy-winning singer-songwriter and producer, Frank Myers. I'm going to throw out some mega hits just to whet your appetite. You and I. I swear. I'm already there. My front porch looking in. Can you hear those hits in your head? I bet you can And Frank Myers wrote or co-wrote every one of them. When he opened his door to a gorgeous home, the living room was full of light. There were giant windows that looked out on a fairway and a cozy deck for watching sunsets. He couldn't have been more welcoming, especially when we got a chance to tour his man cave downstairs, which was filled with awards and plaques for his songwriting. He even let us hold his Grammy Award for Best Country Song, I Swear. He was full of stories, including being a child performer and working part-time as a dishwasher at Ponderosa Steakhouse, touring with Eddie Raven and hearing his song on the radio for the first time. Here's what he told us.
0: It was a navy blue Oldsmobile Cutlass. And we were driving out west and you and I came on for the first time and I had to pull over. Literally had to pull over and listen to it.
1: We settled in for a long talk about the music and a career that has spanned 40 years and counting.
0: I came from a very musical family and my brother played guitar and it was just natural for me to learn. I started playing when I was nine and, of course, we all sat around and played and, and my uncles and everybody played. My aunts sang and, you know, my dad... It was dad, like
1: a whole family Well, my experience. dad came
0: from a family of 11 so,
1: and how many for you and your family?
0: I have wow, two brothers so 11 and two sisters. To five, okay, and then from 11 to five to two because <laughs> I have two boys, and well, and I have a daughter too in Ohio.
1: When you were growing up, what was life like in your house?
0: There was a lot of music, there was a lot of parties, there was a lot of card playing. I was athletic, I played baseball and football. But when I was 12, my dad's kidneys went out, and he actually Found out that he had chronic nephritis, and he became the first person on kidney dialysis in Dayton, Ohio. Wow! And he was on dialysis for like 16 or 18 years. Uh, we actually had a kidney machine in the house for a for a while, but uh,
1: that's scary. For it was a just kid.
0: too much for my mom to handle. So
1: really scary for a kid too. Oh, your yeah. dad taught you how to play the guitar. Tell me about your first guitar.
0: My first guitar was. A Zimgar. What? Z I M G A R. I sat with a record player and I would put 45s on and learn how to play songs like that.
1: What were the songs that you were listening to when you were growing up?
0: I mean, I grew up in a great music era and time because I remember when I was in first grade, I remember watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show.
1: You know, I have to tell you, Frank, that every person that we sit down with, who is of the age that you're talking about, says, changed my life. Oh, yeah. Ed Sullivan, watching the Beatles, changed my life.
0: Well, oh, not just the Beatles, but Elvis, the Rolling Stones. I mean, you name it, the The British invasion that we had back then. I mean, there was so much music happening. And, you know, I was never really an Elvis fan. You know, I watched his movies. Mom watched them, and, <laughs> and I would watch them and all that, and I liked him and all of that, and I thought it was cool that he always got the girl. But um, when I saw him in 1972, UD Arena, man, when he came on with that 2001 Space Odyssey theme and everything, and everybody went nuts.
1: Larger than life, right?
0: Right then, I became a huge Elvis
1: fan. You're 14 years old, and you get the opportunity to be on a big TV show. Mm -hmm. What was the name of it? Tell us all about it.
0: The show was called Porter Wagner with Stars of Young Country. And I sang, you don't know what I sang, do you?
1: No, please tell me.
0: Country Roads.
1: Take me home?
0: Yeah, take me home.
1: John Denver. Yeah. How'd you do? How'd you feel? Were you terrified?
0: Well, I don't remember if I was terrified or not. I'm I'm sure I was a little nervous, but by that time, I had done lots of shows. I would open up for people like Porter and Dolly, George and Tammy, ones, different ones that came to a place called Memorial Hall in Dayton, Ohio. So I was the, the cute little 11-year-old that they would let come out and sing a song.
1: Did that come naturally for you?
0: It did, just because of growing up with it. They had a contest called Star Trail <laughs> up there. They had it at the fairgrounds in Dayton, and it was a monthly thing. And each month you'd go, and if you won... You had to win three times to become a Star Trail star. So I remember the very first time I did that, I was really scared.
1: When you start out as a child, this has been your life as you can remember it forever. Have you ever had to do anything else? Have you ever had another job outside of the music business?
0: I've been working ever since I was able to push a lawnmower. So, you know, I cut grass. When I turned 16, I got a job at Ponderosa Steakhouse. As were a, you
1: a server at Ponderosa I was,
0: I was a dishwasher, and then I graduated to cook after that. And then I was always playing on the weekends as well to make extra money. I worked at Dayton Door Sales for a short while, and I worked at Pest Control Company for a short while. Well, now all I've of those jobs everything. were just short-term <laughs> deals that gave me extra money to keep playing music until I was able to play all the time.
1: There's a guy named Eddie Raven, who has been a huge part of your success story. Yes, he has. You started playing guitar for him when you were about 23 years old, Somewhere 24? Somewhere in there. What was that like?
0: This was the first time I'd ever worked for a recording artist, but it was just like putting on a pair of shoes for me.
1: Honing your craft as a musician, a singer, a performer, you're still young working with Eddie, and you stay with him for nine years. What did you learn from him?
0: You know, I was the band leader and even road manager for a while, and then I also played on some of his records and co-wrote hits with him. So it was a different kind of relationship with Eddie and I as opposed to someone that is just a guitar player for an artist. It was a very personal, you know, Eddie was like a big brother to me. So what I learned most from Eddie was things about writing, and it wasn't things that he really told me. It was just by writing with him and just picking up on his approach and that kind of thing.
1: Well, speaking of writing, I think my math is correct on this because it was the early 80s and you are on the road with Eddie Raven and there's this great big hit in 1982 called You and I. Can you tell us the story behind that song?
0: You and I was my second cut. My first cut was a song that Eddie and I and Tanya Tucker wrote called Changes. And there was a line in that song that went, when we were together, it was right. We had it all, you and I. And, you know, being that it was my first cut, I played it over and over and over and over. But you and I just stuck out to me as a title. So I just wrote it down on a piece of paper with with some other titles because I was really just learning how to write songs. Do you hear
1: the music or the lyric first? I hear Both?
0: both, most of the time, most of the time. Because I didn't move here as a writer, I moved here as a performer and guitar player and singer. So I wrote that down, and one day, Belinda and I had a small apartment out in Antioch, and we had one car. She worked second shift, and I would take her to work when I was home. And being that Eddie was a new artist, he wasn't working a ton, so we weren't making a lot of money, and Belinda was kind of supporting us. And she was getting worried about me not bringing in a lot of money or anything, and
1: what did she and do for a living? She
0: was a computer operator at Third National Bank when she moved down here. I kept telling her, "We'll be all right, honey. Don't worry about it. We'll be all right." That's really all I could tell her. I said, "Just have faith. We're going to be okay." And so one day I was sitting on the couch in in the living room, and I had my guitar out, and I was trying to trying to write because I was getting into it. Now I had a had a song recorded by Tanya Tucker, right? And I'm working with Eddie Raven, so I wanted to work on my writing. And she came in and said, what are you doing, honey? I said, well, I'm trying to write a song. She said, well, what kind of song? I said, a country song, Belinda. We're in Nashville now. We ain't in Ohio no more. I (laughs) I got to write something country. She said, well, that hadn't been working out real good for you. And I really didn't get that comment. I said, well, we just got this Tanya Tucker cut and everything, but there was no money coming in still. As a songwriter, you get a song cut, You don't see money from a song until it's released on an album or released as a single and hopefully as a single on the radio and you won't see any of that money for nine months. She said, well, why don't you write me a Lionel Richie type song? And I looked at my watch and said, ain't it about time for you to go to work?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I got enough of you.
0: (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, But I said, well, you know, let me see what I can come up with. So I took her to work and came home. Sat down with my guitar and was fooling around with some melodies. And, and that title, You and I, just came to my mind. And I wrote the song in a couple hours. Picked her up that night and brought her home, played it for her.
1: Did she cry? She did. That's when you know it works, right? So many questions to ask as follow-up to that. Now,
0: you know that song wasn't written as a duet. You know?
1: I know that, and it's <laughs> only because we've had Crystal Gale on our show, and she told us about how they had toured together,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: Eddie had the song, mm-hmm. and recorded the song, right. and sent her a demo of it, right, and he said, can you give me some harmonies on this song? Yep. And she said, well, Eddie, I think I can do a little bit more than harmonies.
0: Well, let me tell you the reason why, because, and now I'm telling on myself, again, I was just learning how to write songs. I wasn't a great lyricist yet. I, I wrote a great melody with you and I, but David Malloy, who produced Eddie Rabbit and also wrote a bunch of Eddie Rabbit hits, he said, Frank, we love the song. He said, we just we thought it was short, so we took the first verse and copied it over to make another verse, and we took... The original second verse and made it the third verse so could you write another another verse and I said okay uh, I'll, sure so I sat down I wrote three options for him and he hated every one of them <laughs> <laughs> so when Crystal came in to sing the harmonies all she had was the song with the way it is now so she had worked at home on it and she started doing those answers in the second verse and david said brilliant that's it that's how we'll do it we're going to do it just like that you know and that's how a song that wasn't written as a duet became a duet
1: a song like You and I that gets played thousands, millions of times all around the world. It becomes evergreen. Yes. It may have been written in 1982, but a couple could use that song as a wedding song in 2021. How does it feel when people come to you and say, that's my favorite song in the whole world? That's the song that they played when I got married. It must be a beautiful feeling as a writer.
0: It is a beautiful feeling. It's surreal. And truthfully, that's better than the money you make on it, you know, having the people come up and tell you what the song meant to them, what they used it for, or what it still means to them, for that matter. And then when you perform it live and get to see the reaction and people singing along with you, and because a lot of times I just have the crowd do Crystal's part, you know, I'll, I'll have them do
1: <laughs> the callback, right? Yeah,
0: exactly, and 99% of the time they nail it. But there is that 1% <laughs> where it's like there's silence, and I'm like, okay, this is where you were supposed to come in. And here's how, what you were supposed to say. But it's a blessing.
1: Well, a couple questions for you. First mm-hmm. of all, I believe that everybody needs someone who believes in them. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Belinda mm-hmm. saying to you, well, why don't you write a Lionel Richie song? And you drop her off from work and she comes home and you sing her this song, you and I. Is she someone who's always believed in you? Because we all need that person.
0: I would say that, yes, she is, because she probably wouldn't have stayed with me all these years and, (laughs) and moved from Ohio to Tennessee and followed me down here if she hadn't believed in me. She has always been the backbone of the family and always the one who, it seems like every time I would leave, something would happen. You know, something <laughs> you would happen like the at dishwasher the house. Breaks. <laughs> something would happen that she would have to deal with, and I wouldn't be here to deal with it. To steal from Larry Henley, she is the wind beneath my wings.
1: Well, when you've had that many hits, I want to <laughs> talk a little bit about so many of these songs. Let's go right to your Grammy win. Okay, with, I swear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a multi-format smash, and I guess that's really where I want to go with this question because you've got John Michael Montgomery. You've got All for One. That's the version I played on the radio. Right. Talk to me about the story behind that song. And I believe you wrote that with Gary, did you not?
0: I did. Gary lives in Sheffield, Alabama. And it's about a three-hour drive from here down to his house. And so I would go to his house one or two days a week. And he would come up here one or two days a week. So he called me that morning and he said, Frank, I got a title I want you to think about. On the drive down, kind <laughs> of three hour drive, he says, It's called I Swear. You know, that's the title. He says, You know, like I, I swear I'll love you forever. I swear I'll always be there. You know, I, that kind of thing. And uh, I said, Okay. And, uh, so I started driving down and started thinking about it. And it just, the chorus just came to me and I sang it on a uh, little handheld micro cassette uh, player that I kept in the car. And I wrote the course driving to his house. I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky, I'll be there. I swear like the shadow.
1: It feel like to win a Grammy. You know that song was
0: nominated for four Grammys, four or five Grammys. It won three, I think. It was it was the first song to be nominated for Song of the Year, Overall Song of the Year, Country Song of the Year, R and B Song of the Year, R and B Performance, yada yada. I mean, it was pretty crazy.
1: Crazy.
0: And we ended up winning the Country Song of the Year which was a pre-telecast event. There was so much going on back, so many cool things going on back then that everything kind of ran together for me. It was it was almost like we didn't really enjoy it as much as we should have because it was happening so fast. The song was so huge. It was like...
1: You couldn't get away from uh, that song.
0: It was, it was like the only award it didn't win was the CMA Song of the Year in Chattahoochee won that.
1: When you are a co-writer on a song and you win the Grammy Award, do they give one to each of you or yes. do you have to share it? Oh, no. Where do you keep your Grammy? It's
0: in the office. I'll show it to you.
1: Well, you have won many awards and have written so many number one songs, but we handpicked a couple. I hope you don't mind. My husband's favorite song in the whole world, I'm Already There. Oh. Story behind the song.
0: Wow. That was one of those days, you know, Gary and I were... Uh, doing the duo thing Baker and Myers back then. And we knew Richie and all the guys from Lone Star. I knew them back when I worked with Eddie cuz they played in Texas. But this particular day we were going to write and we went to we were at one of the performance rights Society's building, one of their writers rooms and and uh, I told you it was 3 hour drive up here. Well, Gary was was always late, always late. So, uh, Richie and I are in the room just shooting a breeze, and um, we got our titles out and we started throwing titles back and forth. And nothing I said was hitting him, and nothing he said was hitting me. And there was a piano in the room. So he got up and walked over to the piano and started playing. And I said, Well, what is that? And he says, Well, it's something that I started out on the road. He said, I called home and I talked to Lori and the kids. And I got homesick, and uh, and I started this, so I just thought I'd play it. And I said, I love that. That's what we're going to write right there. So Gary finally showed up, and we wrote the song and became a seven-week number one hit for Lone Star. Yeah. And then the coolest thing happened. The military adopted the song. And they did a military version of it, a video. They actually did an AC version of it. It was played on AC radio as well. And we have notebooks about two inches thick of emails from uh, military families. And, of course, when we wrote it, it was just for us because we traveled on the road all the time. For so anybody
1: who's away from the people anybody, that they love.
0: And, and I'll tell you a little story. During CRS, Country Radio Week here in, in town, RCA always did this thing on the General Jackson where they would take the radio guys out and, and they would have their artists come up and sing.
1: Little showcases. Their,
0: their singles that were coming out, that kind of thing. Well, when Lone Star did it and performed I'm Already There, it almost emptied the room. People going out and calling home.
1: Wow. Okay, let's go to my front porch looking in.
0: Yeah. Richie used to live out in Gordonsville. So we wrote that, he and I, and Don Fremer, God rest his soul. Don was a mentor for me. He was a great lyricist. He couldn't play an instrument. He couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. (laughs) But he could write a great lyric. And I really learned more from him about writing lyrics than anybody else. And I just loved him to death. Uh, We were such great friends, and he loved kids. Uh, just such a great guy, so we were going to go out and ride with Richie, and he was going to drive out here, meet me, and then we drive out to Richie's. So Richie calls me that morning and says, "Frank, man, I hate to do this, but you know we're going to need to reschedule because there's a hole in the fence and the horses got out, and I got you know I got to deal with all of that and and it just sounded kind of funny what he was telling me." And I said, Don's going to be here any minute because I knew he was on his way. And I mean, literally any minute, he, he's going to knock on the door. I said, why don't me and Don just drive on out there, to, dude, just help you out, you know, and maybe we can get a song title or something and, and we can reschedule another day or whatever. So
1: Get a song title and help you fix the hole in the fence?
0: Yeah. So we drive out to Gordonsville and right off that exit, you hang a left. And you go down about half a mile. And then right off that main road there was where the gravel road that led up to his house. And he had a big house up on a hill. Well, when we got there, there wasn't no fence at all. But there was a post hole digger. And his dad was there. And his uh, father-in-law was there. And some other people. And they were putting a fence up. So he was trying to give us the brush that morning. And I wasn't having it. So anyway, Don was so funny because you know, he showed up in in these shorts and this nice khaki shirt, and he wanted to go play golf. And so (laughs) he ends up getting grease on his shirt and everything else that day. But at the end of the day, we're up on his wraparound porch, and we're overlooking this beautiful view. And I told Richie, oh, my gosh, this view is beautiful, man. There's got to be a song title off this front porch. And Don is looking through the big window at the kids playing inside and he's laughing at the kids and I said this two or three times and by the second or third time I said man there's got to be a hit song title off this front porch I mean the, the view is awesome Don just said well it ain't as good as the view looking in and there and we it was. all looked at each other and knew we had something to write about
2: there's a walk, with a cup of milk a little
0: blue. She's all wrong because she likes to dress herself and the most beautiful girl holding both of them yeah, the
1: beauty I love the most is my front porch in
0: so a few days later we got together at Don's office and I showed up first and when I walked in Don already had the first verse and chorus lyrically written just like it is today for the most part. And I sat down with my guitar and I started reading it. So and as I started reading it, I started hearing this melody starting to come to my head. So I put the melody to it. And when Richie showed up, I sang him the first verse and chorus of the song.
1: What a great story. What was Lone Star's experience? Have they ever shared with you how they felt when they recorded these two mega hits?
0: We had been friends for a long time, so... Anytime you're an artist, you're always thankful for a number one record because (laughs) you can raise your price when you get a number one record, right? And they were always thankful and, and appreciative of it, but we just had a different kind of relationship.
1: What is it like to flip on the radio and hear a song like I Swear, hear a song like I'm Already There or Front Porch Looking In? How do you feel when you hear something like that, particularly coming out of the radio?
0: Very thankful and very blessed.
1: Do you turn it up? I do. <laughs> Roll the windows down as we used to say.
0: <laughs> no, I just, I, I, I do turn it up because I don't hear them as much as I used to, but they're still being played, which is a good thing. But it's very humbling and uh, like I say, I'm very thankful that uh, you know I have songs like that that are gonna be around after I'm gone.
1: What do you wish you knew when you first got started in the entertainment business? you could pass along to someone listening to country music success stories
0: i've had hits for four decades and that's pretty crazy when you think about it but at some point that comes to an end and you have to be aware of that and you have to prepare for that and just be thankful for every day that you have be thankful for the success you're having and keep working hard i had open heart surgery in 2018 I had my heart valve repaired. And uh, from that point, I started uh, just relaxing more and not chasing anything like I used to. So I'm not retired, but I, I guess you could say I'm kind of semi, but I'm still doing things as an artist myself, and I'm still going out and doing shows and stuff. I'm just doing different things now as opposed to going in every day and trying to write songs.
1: Tell me about the very first time you ever heard one of your songs on the radio.
0: Oh, that's easy. It was you and I. And I was driving. Actually, Belinda was with me in that same car that I took her to work in. It was a navy blue Oldsmobile Cutlass. And we were driving out west. And you and I came on for the first time. and I had to pull over. Literally had to pull over, and listen to it.
1: There's just something about hearing your song coming out of the radio that's a little bit different from any other experience, right?
0: Oh, yeah. You you know it's coming over the radio just with all the rest of the hit songs that are, that are on the radio.
1: What I are know. you most proud of, Frank Myers, when you look at this incredible career that we've been talking about? And thanks again for having us here.
0: You know, You and I is probably the song because it has so much meaning behind it. It was written for my wife. I wrote it by myself. Uh, It was my first single. It was my first huge hit, crossover hit and everything else. I'm just thankful that the Lord blessed my life with the ability to take the talent that he gave me and use it, hopefully, in a positive way that leaves behind, after I'm gone, a lot of Good things that people can hold on to. And for blessing me with my wife and my my family, the career, my home, being able to travel the world, so many blessings that's so easy to take for granted. That's what I'm thankful for.
1: Final question. Yeah. Fill in the blank. The key to my success in country music has been?
0: Has been the Lord. Because without the Lord, I would have never done anything without him. I wasn't smart enough, I mean, he he had to give it to me. All of my biggest hits have always just came natural, and I, I know that, that it all came from him. There's no doubt in my mind. So he is the key to anything that I've ever done that was successful.
1: I
2: wanna say thank you so much for having us in your beautiful home.
0: You're very welcome, it's so nice to meet you.
2: Hi, I'm JC Don Valeris, your Music City Mentor. When I knew we'd be sitting down with mega-hit songwriter Frank Myers, I knew I wanted to ask him about the level of commitment a young writer needs to dedicate to their art in order to set themselves up for success in country music. And boy, did he deliver. Get your pen and paper and take some notes on this incredible checklist that this Grammy award-winning songwriter has for you.
0: If you want to be a songwriter, you need to write every day. Whether you write something good or not, you have to spend your time working on the craft. Writing is a craft. Now, the secret to a hit song, in my opinion, is when the inspiration and the craft come together. You know, number one, work on it every day. Try to come up with something new every day. Try to do it a little bit different than someone else did it. Don't try to follow in anybody's footsteps. Be who you are be a stylist because we don't have a lot of stylists anymore. We have we have a lot of artists and people chasing each other. Chase okay, this guy put that out. Oh, I'm gonna try to write that. Don't try to write that. Try to write something, try to be an individual uh, and let your individual talent shine on its own. And the only way you can do that, you can listen to everything and you can get ideas from that, but you have to just be your own creative person and let the talent that God gave you, come out and develop that talent and use that talent because if you have that talent, he expects you to do that, to meet people. You got to network and you just got to get in the, in the music scene and what's going on. And, and one thing leads to another. And, and if you're good enough, you know, it'll happen for you and, and and don't give up. Don't be frustrated if it doesn't happen right away. Uh, I was, again, I was so blessed that it happened for me almost immediately when I came to town But there's people that have been here years and years before they ever had a hit or anything else good happen for them. So don't be discouraged. Just work hard. Put your faith in God. Trust in His will. Put it all in His hands. It'll all work out.
2: Frank is absolutely correct. And don't forget his secret to writing a hit song. He says it's when inspiration and craft come together. Always remember to look for ways to keep yourself inspired, whether it's reminding yourself what got you inspired in the very early days of your career or listening to a writer whose work you currently admire. Find time in your day to do both. And with the right amount of preparation, opportunity and luck, you'll be on your way to having a career like Frank's more wisdom
1: you can use from Music City mentor, J.C. Don Valeris, inspired by Grammy-winning singer-songwriter, producer, Frank Myers. If you liked Country Music Success Stories, please check out our website, follow our podcast, and please leave a review. Here's our social media handle, at Country Music Success Stories. Easy enough, right? We've got more legends to meet and stories to tell. This is Candy O'Terry saying thank you for listening. To country music success stories where the stars welcome us into their homes and tell us how they made it in Nashville.